Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer, and this is a podcast called The Rewatchables. We have been doing it really since 2017. It started with how much we love the movie Heat. We decided to structure a whole podcast with categories, most rewatchable scene, who won the movie, Apex Mountain, what age the best. But here's the thing. If you want the full archive, you can hear them only on Spotify for free, by the way. So make sure to follow The Rewatchables on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NFL show. I'm Nora Pinciotti. I am here as always with Steven Ruiz. He has always loved having haters and doubters. Isn't that right, Steven? That is right. I mean, you're not doing it. You're not doing it right if you don't have haters and doubters. Absolutely. My parents uh, which tell means, me that all the time. <laughs> Since birth, the first lesson imparted onto young Stephen was, look, look, son, always got to have those haters and doubters. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins has always loved having haters and doubters, as he tweeted when he announced his signing with the Titans for two years, 26 million, at least on the face of it. Uh, there's 12 million this year, plus up to three in incentives, which would get him to Odell's 15, which I'm going to assume was a bit of a benchmark in this. We've been waiting for this signing. We're going to continue our power ranking series in this episode, but we're going to talk about Hopkins off the top. We've been waiting for this all summer, right? We sort of planned the order of this series around like, oh, don't want to want to make sure we can react to Hopkins. Don't know what's going to happen. Better be careful. And now he's with a team that's currently 19th in our rankings. Um, that's made a series of big but interesting wide receiver moves over the last couple of, couple of off seasons. What do you think about this ultimate landing spot? Uh, like no offense to Tennessee and, and- Remember, I said no offense, but this is like the most boring. Which means that it's fine. Yeah, it means that whatever I say does not count. But like Tennessee's, I was joking a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about it, that he's going to end up signing with Tennessee, and I was, I was like thinking back to the Julio Jones thing when everyone was speculating, like, oh, he can go to the Chiefs, go to the Bills, and then he ends up on the Titans. Which, like the Titans are a perfectly fine team. It's just not a move that's going to that's going to move the needle in the AFC. Like I think the reason why we were kind of delaying the AFC East or even the AFC West was we thought he was going to go to Buffalo or Kansas city, some power team. And then he went to a team that's going to struggle to fight for a wild card spot. So 
I, I do think it makes their offense a little more complete. Like now when you look at their depth chart, it's like, oh, this makes a little more sense because now they have a what you think is a legit number one receiver. I think we have to see him stay healthy for one is he had a lot of problems with like soft tissue injuries. And right. those are probably the injuries that are more likely to continue as you, you get up there in age. So, I mean, on the field, I think it makes them a better team. I just don't know if it makes them a significant. Do you, it seems the best read on this to me is that ultimately what was motivating him was he wanted to get a good financial deal. Um, I don't think that this was probably what he initially set his sights on, but it's still, I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. And it, it, I would imagine that if that were not the primary concern, a team like the Bills would have liked to have him, like the Chiefs would have liked to have him if, if the price had been less significant. Um, without knowing how far apart, you know, is, is that taking a couple million off the top? Is that having the value of the deal? Like, what would that have taken? We don't really know. It seems like ultimately it came down to um, the Titans or New England and Tennessee <laughs> seems to have offered more money. Uh, that indicates to me that that ring chasing was not the primary object here. But are there any teams that you're looking at now going, this might end up feeling like a missed opportunity uh, taken just because some general manager somewhere whose team could use a DeAndre Hopkins wasn't willing to pay for it? I, I mean, I would put Kansas City on the list. But I don't think it's going to matter because they have Patrick Mahomes. But I think yeah. adding that, having that guy that he can kind of trust outside of Kelsey to get open on third down, which he had in Juju last year. And like, it's, there's certainly a chance that someone on the roster takes that step, but we haven't seen it yet. And we know Hopkins can be that guy. He's been that guy in the past. I do think like another part of it is but beyond the money, the money obviously matters, but I don't think like DeAndre Hopkins is like grinding the DVOA and the EPA. And like, I think he just looks at the, the Titans as a team that has won like 30 games over the last three years. And he's like, Oh, they're pretty good. And I'm like a number one receiver and I'm pretty good. If I go there, like we'll be pretty good. We're going to be I don't great. Think it's like, a, yeah. I don't think he like knows, like, I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe he keeps up with his stuff, but I, I don't know that I, I think he probably knows that the chiefs and the bills are better than the Titans. No, no, he knows that. But I think he thinks the Titans as a playoff team, because that's what they've been for the last three years. I mean, they've kind of overachieved. So I don't think he sees it as like, Oh, I'm I'm just taking the money. I think he thinks he's going to a playoff contender because that's what they've kind of been. Uh, And he also gets to be the number one guy. Like that's another thing that we have. Like you're not going to be the number one guy in Kansas city. Uh, You're not going to be the number one guy in Buffalo. Like, you're not going to disrupt Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs or Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. So, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of get it from this perspective, even beyond the money. Yeah, and I mean, the the path to... Because the incentives are tied to production. Um, not that that would have been an identical case in any potential deal, but likely that would have been some piece of the equation. It's a lot easier to get to 1,000 receiving yards if you're DeAndre Hopkins in Tennessee than it is if you're competing. Um, with someone like Stephon Diggs in Buffalo, where it's just like you're you're not going to be the number one unless there's an injury or the type of career renaissance that seems like an outlier to predict. The Titans, they said, are, are currently 19th in our rankings, which I will say, revisiting this, 
it's not that it feels low to me when you look at at who the other teams are around them, but it it I guess made me wonder about the thing that you're saying might have influenced Hopkins's decision, which is just Mike Vrabel's a pretty good coach. Seems to get a lot out of this team, sort of no matter who's on it. Does this move the needle at all? We have them right now. It's um, we have the Saints at sixteen, the Raiders at seventeen, the Panthers at eighteen, and then the Titans. And then after them, it's the Bears, Rams, Bucks, Texans, and Cardinals. I'm willing to push them up to like Pittsburgh, New Orleans territory because I think the reason why those teams are kind of where they are is because of the reputation of their coaching staffs getting the most, like getting wins. Like it's the same setup as Tennessee, and I think now. Like looking at the roster, I think it's talented enough. The the concern is the offensive line. Like, and I think that's like that's kind of like the mistake all of us make. And I, I'm talking about like analysts. When we're like looking at a depth chart for season previews, we tend to just look at the skill players and the quarterback and, and the like the position like premium positions and kind of overlook offensive line. But I think that could be an issue that totally disrails this team just because of how Mike Vrabel wants to win games on offense. They want to be a running team. You need a good offensive line to be a good running team. They want to be a deep drop passing team. You need a good offensive line to do that too. And if they don't have that, it kind of like everything else kind of just gets a little worse. So I think the offensive line is still a major concern. So I would push them up a couple of places. I'm not, I'm not going to put them in like the top half of the league just because of this move though. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, I th- in some ways, I think this is making me rethink if we're assigning enough points to just Vrabel's coaching more so than having Hopkins certainly helps them. Um, having a second genuinely threatening receiver, obviously that's health dependent, but someone who defensively you're going to have to plan around somewhat. I think that's, that matters. I don't know that just the addition of DeAndre Hopkins is making me say, oh, they should be five slots higher in our power rankings now because they have DeAndre Hopkins. It's more that like, I do think you're right that probably part of his decision-making process was this team does tend to be in the playoffs. They do tend to, you know, Vrabel's a pretty good coach. They do tend to get a lot with a little. The roster has taken enough hits that I, I think we're right to evaluate that this is this is going to be a different year. But I, I just wonder if we're underrating those factors slightly. I think we probably are, but there's also a chance that we're overrating Mike Vrabel's chance to get or his ability to get the most out of his teams. Or not that, but like get extra wins out of his teams. Is it because we're based on like a two-year, three-year sample? Like last year, they didn't win a game after Thanksgiving. And they started Josh Dobbs in like the biggest game of the season. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's a chance that we're giving him a little too much credit too. But like the way I rank these teams, like when I think of power rings, I think of like head to head one game playoff game on a neutral field. Who would win? Right. I think this is a move that kind of helps them over the course of a, a, the regular season, like a large sample size. But like this doesn't affect like how I think they match up with the Chiefs any really. So I don't know. Head to head with the Panthers. <sighs> like that makes me like I want to give them the Vrabel bump there. Over the, like a team like that, I think it does matter. So I would put them over the Panthers. I would put them over the Raiders. I think the Saints is where I kind of like start to wonder. 
I think yeah, that's, that's where I would put them. Right, that sweet right spot was pitch. Okay, I'm I'm happy with that, and that really is the sweet spot of coaching bump teams. Right. Yeah. So we'll go Steelers, Saints, and then Titans, and then it's the Raiders, Panthers, Bears, Rams, Bucks, Texans, Cardinals. I do, I do appreciate announcing a move with, I always loved having haters and doubters, which was just what, like, the, it was what Hopkins tweeted and then, like, tighten up, or I'm especially appreciative of it now, tighten up, which was a real nobody, absolutely nobody, everybody hates me. Right. <laughs> which I, I don't I think, think is true. <laughs> I don't think it's true either. Historically, I've thought of DeAndre Hopkins as, as I mean, there's certainly been some drama, especially more recently. Doesn't like Bill O'Brien. <laughs> I think generally I mean, speaking, he's a well-liked, liked receiver, clearly incredibly talented, great career history. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think he has a reputation for having haters. And I think like, yeah, like we sided with him over Bill O'Brien. I think we all are all are giving him the benefit of the doubt in Arizona. Like we're like, I would want to leave that situation too. So it's fine. It's fine, DeAndre. We still like you. None of us hate you. Sending love to DeAndre. Wish him the best in Tennessee. Um, All right. The AFC East. It's the division that we're, we're power ranking this week. Not the division that Hopkins ended up signing with. Although I do wonder if we will, we will sort of, mention uh, some decisions not to shell out to try to get him um, with some of these teams because I think before this happened, you correctly predicted that he would go to the Titans. I think if I'd had to choose a division, I would have said this one because there's just a couple of teams where it might have made sense. Um, Obviously, that didn't happen. But let's kick it off at the top. Um, To me, this was an easy choice with Buffalo, the team that's won the AFC East three years in a row. Are we are we aligned there? Yeah, of course. I, I don't I mean, know. I'm I thought high. you might do something crazy with Miami. I really thought you might go for it. See, yeah, I, I'm tempted to, but I ended up being like modest with my my Miami prediction. But I want to. Like, I they're such a cool team that it would be cool if they're one of the best teams in the league. I think that we'll have a good NFL season if Miami is just totally awesome and like just blows people out with their offense and their defense is a lot better. But still, for me. It's Buffalo. It's looking at the roster from top to bottom. They have the best quarterback in the division. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. I I think they have the coaching staff that's most proven in the division outside of New England. But they're even in New England, like there haven't been the best coaching decisions in New England, the best coaching hires over the last yeah. couple of years. So, I mean, I think on paper they have the best defense. I think on paper they have the best offense. I think on paper they have the best coaching staff or even the second best coaching staff. And like, usually when you have all the best stuff in the division, you win the division. So (laughs) I'm going to keep them there. One thing that they don't have the best stuff in is, is in the receiver room there. I mean, obviously Diggs is, is one of the better receivers in the league, but I think one of their major weaknesses last year was the fact that they didn't get as much secondary receiver production, I think, as they'd hoped. Gabe Davis ended up having a season-high receptions in a single game that was six. They were one of the Hopkins teams for me. Um, 
Buffalo is one of the holdout teams that just tends to be very financially prudent and not like to take that many big swings. Um, Von Miller in some ways being the exception, but that's my main assumption for why that didn't happen. I guess my secondary one is that they have Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox in the mix. I'm very curious to see if offensively they go through a little bit of a transition this year into using a bit more 12 personnel. If they try to solve some of the protection issues that they've had for Josh Allen by morphing a little bit um, and just getting some bigger people on the field and diminishing the number of receivers that they're playing occasionally. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think they're, I think the reason why they maybe passed on Hopkins is because at this point in his career, he's kind of redundant with Stefan Diggs, like where they win, where they get their catches. Like DeAndre Hopkins at this point isn't necessarily a deep threat. He's not like, you're not worried about his speed. Right. He's more of like a route runner in the short to intermediate area, which is Stefan Diggs. And like, I think like Gabe Davis, had, like Gabe Davis obviously was disappointing last year, but I do still think he serves a role in this offense as a useful player just because he he's still that deep threat. Like he was still making explosive plays last year when he did get targets. So you have Diggs, you have the intermediate guy, you have the deep guy, now you have Dalton Kincaid kind of like working the short area, being the yak guy, being like an H-back move tight end type. And like where does DeAndre Hopkins fit into it? There's like a point of diminishing returns there. So I kind of mm-hmm. get it from their perspective. I like like I said earlier, I think the Chiefs missed out more than the Bills did. But I really just want to see this offense with Josh Allen's elbow healthy and like an offensive line that's competent. And I think that's what they're going to have this year. When we saw that early in the year last year, this was the best offense in the NFL. Like it was better than Kansas City. Yeah. It was more varied. It was harder to kind of like stay ahead of them. I thought Ken Dorsey did an excellent job over these first two months. I know things kind of fell off the rails in the second half, but I thought that was more due to Josh Allen's elbow and like kind of how he reacted and how he had to react to just start throwing the ball down the field more. I, I think with these pieces now, like you, you have Gabe Davis, you have Stephon Diggs, you have Knox, you have Kincaid, you have a tougher running back group and bring in Damian Harris. I think this could be a well-rounded offense. And I know last year the complaint at the end was like, oh, they're too reliant on the explosive play, which I don't even think was necessarily true. I just think Josh Allen went into that mode last year. But they're going to have these pieces to kind of get in different formations, different personnel groupings, and be able to dictate what the defense does. And I thought that's what Ken Dorsey was best at last year. Now, if they stay healthy, he gets a full year. Well, and if, I mean, look, we will have to reevaluate some of our predictions for Buffalo if we get four or five games into the season. And some of the short area accuracy doesn't return for Josh Allen. Or if he is still, I mean, look, Hero Ball has been a part of the Josh Allen conversation since he entered the league. Um, I do place most of what happened towards the end of last season in terms of him being overly reliant or or just defaulting to trying for the explosive plays or, or just relying on that too much to whatever was happening with his elbow and just the nuances of that injury seemed strange and did seem like they were especially affecting him underneath. 
if we get into the season and, and it seems like, well, either it's still bothering him or maybe that wasn't all about the injury, then I think a lot of the calculus changes. But I'm very much of the school that those things about their offense popped up right when he was hurt. So until we have an alternate explanation, I'm going to assume that they will go back to what they were doing at the beginning of last year, which was an absolute juggernaut. I mean, that that was like one of the most exciting things to watch was an offense quarterbacked by someone with Josh Allen's ability all of a sudden just be like ruthlessly dink and dunk efficient when they wanted to be. And it seems like they think that that's possible and going to happen too, just because I think the choice to invest in tight end, to assume that they actually do have enough at receiver, like those things seem to fit in with believing that they can continue down that road, which if they can, they should be fine offensively. Yeah, my my questions are more on the defensive side. Yeah. And Two major departures, this, Tremaine Edmonds yeah. and then Leslie Frazier. Um, Sean McDermott seems like he's taking a much more, or a more active role. He's always been active in, in that defense, but is taking the reins there sort of even more than he has the last couple of years. Yeah, like after the Von Miller trade, something changed with that defense, like where... At the start of the year, they were a, a four-down, four-man rush team, play zone coverage. We're going to get to the quarterback before the zones break down. And then Von Miller goes down, and that kind of just goes out the window. Like, that's set up, but they still play it. Like, they're still playing the same style of defense. They don't have the personnel to do it any longer. I think we saw how bad that defense got, especially against the best quarterbacks in the league. Like, Joe Burrow did whatever he wanted to that yeah. offense. Like, even... The Dolphins, like after their two-week stretch against the 49ers and the Chargers where they barely scored, everyone's like, oh, the blueprint's out too has been figured out. This offense stinks. Next week, they put up like 35 on a top-five defense, and I just think it's the nature of what that defense became. This predictable, static... I don't know. It was easy to attack. It wasn't a moving target. I think if they can get back to that, whether it's with that same setup, but with Von Miller healthy this time, and they're playing like solid defense, or if they're a little more unsound, I guess is the way to put it, a little more risky, call a little bit yeah. more blitzes. I, I think the defense has a chance to be a lot better, even if like the stats over the course of the season, because I think they finished like first in BBOA last year somehow. I don't think they're going to be able to replicate that. But even if they're like a top five defense that just has a higher ceiling against good teams, I think that's an improvement. Like getting Leonard Floyd and getting Von Miller back, that's a pretty good pass rush duo. Yeah. And like if Greg Rousseau can kind of continue on on his improvement last year, there's a chance this is a decent defensive line. And that's something we haven't really been able to say about them for the last couple of years. They just a little they've they have not been a game plan defense. And I think the highest ceiling version of this team would be one where McDermott's decision to kind of reassert himself is one designed to say, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're still gonna do our stuff. That's what our players are good at. That's what they know how to do. We believe in that system. We've been a good team based on on a defensive system that is about being fundamentally sound and doing the same thing kind of week in and week out. 
But that has started to hurt us. It has hurt us against the best teams and the best quarterbacks, especially. And I am the head coach. I'm a defensive head coach. I would like to adopt a little bit more say in, you know, we're going to switch this up because we're playing Joe Burrow and we think that changing XYZ things is going to give us the best chance to win. Like that has been, like, I think you can, not that this team hasn't played great, great, great competitive games against the Chiefs, but usually that's been because of, of their offense. I think you can pin a fair bit of why Cincinnati has arisen more solidly as the foil to the Chiefs is because defensively they do go at Mahomes and say, we're over here with Big Lou and we've got a plan to stop you. Whereas typically Buffalo lines up and and does what they do. Um, It would be really, really cool to see them try to shake that up a little bit. And I, I have some optimism that they will try to do that. Yeah, like judging on McDermott's past in Carolina when he was the DC under Ron Rivera, like that was kind of the setup. It's like very vanilla on first and second down, but once you get you to third down, we're going to try some crazy stuff. And I think if they get that, that's good enough to kind of it's a it's a perfect middle ground between being that game plan defense yeah. that can rely on these concepts, these four concepts, but you can still throw a curveball at the quarterback on third down. I wonder so. if just having Josh Allen like. I wonder if they've, they've over the last few years, just been a little bit like, no, we need one part of our team that's just like calm. Yeah, right. It's just like predictable and normal and not a crazy alien. But they need a little more crazy alien defensively. So here's they, what we really do. Let Josh Allen play uh, middle linebacker. <laughs> I think he probably he would. Re- he um, play Edmonds. The one potential issue for this team that we haven't mentioned is that the inner machinations of various key figures' personal lives, uh, particularly Josh Allen's and Stefan Diggs's alleged feelings about it, could could lead to just utter chaos. So I will be reading page six. We'll keep you posted on that. All right, who's next for you? I'm Miami. And this wasn't hard for me. I don't know about you, like between the Jets and Miami, assuming the Jets are your number three team. Miami, just their their ceiling is so high. And I think this could end up being the best team in the NFL outside of Kansas City. Like I think that's on the table. I don't know if that's, like I'm not predicting that to be the case. Obviously, I have Buffalo ahead of them. But like this is a Super Bowl contender. If Tua is healthy, if Tua... He doesn't have to match what he did early last year when he was an MVP candidate and he was like up there with Mahomes in terms of like EPA per play. But if he can just be 90% of that and Mike McDaniel is who we think he is and Vic Fangio is who we think he is, like I don't see why this team can't win 12 games with this setup. They're so talented across the board. Like we talk about the offense so much and the receiving core, but like this defensive line has gotten really good. Christian Wilkins is a really good player. I think Jalen Phillips is a really good player. He had a good year last year. And I think he could take a step this year. They obviously bring in Bradley Chubb. Now you have Jalen Ramsey. This is a good team with good coaches and 
I, I think they have a chance to be a Super Bowl contender. Like my question about them is depth, the offensive line. Yeah. And obviously two was hell. Outside of that though, like I don't have many questions about this roster or this team. But the uh, depth is a different conversation. I'm just looking at the the um projected starting lineup for the defense and it is very hard to point out a weak link. It is very hard to point out a level of the defense that seems problematic. I mean, the the defensive line is deep. I think what the, you know, linebacker, I think David Long should be really good for them. That's an exciting move. And then, yeah, I mean, the secondary should be one of the, the best in the entire league. Offensive line, other than setting to his health aside, right? Because that's just, that's hard to predict and that's a different conversation altogether. Offensive line to me is the very stark, glaring, clear issue that they could potentially have. Um, if Teron Armstead is healthy, that helps. I'm also... Feel, I also feel pretty good about their their ability to mask a weak offensive line. It's just that there is a tipping point. And I don't quite know where that is. Um, what, how okay does this group need to be for Miami to reach their full potential? I mean, I think Armstead just has to stay healthy. Like, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Where... Like I'm comparing them to the 49ers, obviously, because they run a similar offense. And I think you brought this up on the NFC West pod, like looking at the 49ers offense, that's a potential weak spot. But as you also pointed out, they've had no problem coaching around that. And a, a big part of that coaching staff and coaching around an offensive line is the guy who like designs the run game. And that's what McDaniel did in San Francisco. So I'm confident that he can scheme around that. Now, he was there last year and they had no run game to speak of. And that was an issue. So obviously he didn't scheme around it last year. But they but also, now- the, the thing that's interesting about it to me is like, they don't need, they can do it the same way that San Francisco does, but they don't totally need to just because a lot of like a lot of what the 49ers are doing. I mean, a lot of it is the run game, but a lot of it is also the quick passing game because they can rely on, on, so many yards after the catch and just getting playmakers in space and getting these like big physical powerful playmakers who once they have the ball in their hands are are really dangerous. Miami is kind of like that too, but it's to me it's like kind of scarier even because when you when you design those like quick strike passes sometimes they're like 15 18 yard passes. Because it's Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle running them. Whereas a lot of what San Francisco has gone through, and I like overall, I think San Francisco is 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 probably I don't know if I think they're better equipped to deal with the the weaknesses in the offensive line, but I I don't want to make this sound like I think that they're in a, a worse position because the 49ers have been so solidly able to do this, and Miami is a little bit more of a, a up in the air question. But at least philosophically, there is a, a a thing that only the Dolphins can do where when you design those super, super quick balls out, doesn't matter if there's a rusher coming it, because he's already thrown the pass 
plays, because of the personnel, those are not like five, seven yard passes. And then you have the Jimmy Garoppolo experience, which can be a good offense in the hands of these people, right? But it's even scarier with Miami because when you do that, all of a sudden it's like 12-yard game, 14, 18. Oh, touchdown because Tyreek Hill made one guy miss and all of a sudden. So like that is my thing with them is that like Miami dinking and dunking is like actually very productive and leads to it's just a different conversation than any other team in the league because of because of the total team speed, which has only gotten more significant um, with Devin A.J. So they are, to me, uniquely positioned to solve the offensive line problem. But if there's one thing that's going to cause them cause them issues and hold them back, I think it's very clearly that setting aside quarterback health. Yeah, because the offensive line was an issue last year in the offense. Like, even when the offense was at its peak and it didn't really matter. They didn't have a run game and it didn't matter because they found ways right. around it, kind of like you said. Uh, and they had bad, when, like, the offensive line had bad, they were bad in all the advanced metrics. They, like, didn't look like they were winning. Right, yeah. It just didn't matter. It didn't hold their offense back, at least when it you know, when Tua was healthy and when everything was working. Um, That's why I think there's like an even higher ceiling. Like even if Tua isn't what he was over the first two months of the season, like what if you add a running game onto this, like an effective, competent running game? Now it's even harder to cover Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Like I think this offense could be even scarier, even if Tua isn't as good as he was last year, which is kind of scary to think about. Like they've built an offense. I don't want to say it's like independent of the quarterback's performance. It's not quite to that level. Like, like it's been in San Francisco, but I don't think he has to be Superman for this offense to, to be a top five offense again. Do you think they will have a little bit more of an established run game this year? I do think so. I think Mike McDaniel is a problem solver. Uh, and he's had a good off season to kind of solve the problems that he didn't necessarily know were going to pop up. Like he's taking over this team, he's changing the offense, the look of the offense. He kind of saw the offense change over the first month of the season. I think now that he can look back at what they did in the passing game and how to work the run game into that, that there's going to be something there, something productive there. It'll it'll be an interesting thing to watch. My theory is that my theory is that he's gotten bored of designing run plays, and he's over he it. has two of the fastest receivers in the entire game, and he's just like, "This is way more fun. Let's do this." They literally run like the same play like 10 times a game and it just works because it's like an RPO that isn't an RPO. It kind of is. And like, I don't know, it works every time. The Dolphins playbook is just like a brochure. It's a 13 year old kid who found a play that works in Madden. That's the only play he runs. And I'm saying like, and that's not like an insult. Like that's a compliment. It's good. That's what every single, every single coach as much as they love being scheme lords and doing all of this, like every single coach in the entire NFL, if they could just line up and beat someone with the same thing over and over again and just be like, well, I'm better and stronger and faster than you and I can do this and you can't, they would do it all day, which is what Mike McDaniel is doing. Yeah. I like Mike. I like, I like him more now that I've listened to like the Play Callers podcast, Jordan Rodriguez great podcast, podcast series. He was the one that I thought was 
the most relatable on that podcast. And I like I remember him being like, if you think your play calls are making that much of a difference, like you're 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 an asshole, basically. And like it was refreshing <laughs> to hear him say that. I don't know. I, I thought the other guys on the podcast kind of take their play calling a little too seriously. Like, oh uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a genius painting painting a masterpiece here. It's like calm down. Sean McVay, overly serious. Kyle Shannon. Like all of those guys live in like they're they're like emotionally crumbling under the weight of their own success. Yeah. And he's just chill. He's just ripping a vape on the sideline. I hope it lasts. Stay, stay cool, Mike. All right. We will move on, but let's take a quick break first. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. Team number three. The team of the offseason, the New York Jets. Yes. That's who I have. I'm going to assume that that you have them third as well. Unless uh, That is who I have. Big Mac Jones guy over there. <laughs> I was kind of surprised at how... I thought I was going to be a little more pessimistic about the Jets. I was ready to predict a Denver Broncos situation, but I'm, I'm looking at their roster and their depth chart and like, this is a good, decent coaching staff. Nathaniel Hackett like, isn't as... I don't think he's, he's not as the head coach. dangerous as an offensive coordinator. I don't even think he's really the offensive coordinator. They're just going to give him a headset and it's going to be unplugged. <laughs> uh, it's going to be muted of, without his knowledge. a lot of great dinners in the city with Aaron Rodgers and have a nice time. We're, we're all dunking on Nathaniel Hackett, but Nathaniel Hackett has a nice life. That's all I'm saying. He's living, he's living his best life right now. He's probably doing an Austin Powers impression somewhere. Uh, but you you look at the depth chart and like this is a good team. This is a good team and scary pass rush. The defense, the secondary is so good, and we know Robert Sala can take advantage of a good defensive personnel grouping. The offensive line, like there's a chance that it's a lot better than last year. Like Mackay Becton, if he's in shape and healthy at right tackle, that's mm. that's a good player. Elijah Bear Tucker, they draft Joe Tipman. I don't know. I like now that I'm thinking about this team I, but, could hold, hold maybe on. win let's a keep, playoff game. Let's keep talking about the offensive line a little bit because there's yeah. I mean, I think there's a chance that they're better. I think they they are severely hoping that they're better. They're counting on a lot there. They are right. Dwayne Brown is forty, forty years old. Four zero. That's a high number. Um. Tomlinson had a had a hard year. Like, do you ever see those TikToks or or like videos of people going around to all of their friends and pointing out everybody's red flag? Oh no, I haven't seen that. But okay, that it's like a it's a good genre of video. It's very fun. That is what I see in the <laughs> Jets offensive line. It's just like, well, this guy's forty. This guy doesn't have knees. This guy's a rookie. This guy was hurt last year. And maybe it all comes together. If if it really does, then this is a very, very complete roster. 
this is a good exercise. I feel like this episode is a good exercise in what you were saying um, towards the beginning when we were talking about Hopkins of just like, it is so easy in July to sit around being like, oh, look at all these fun skill position players. But often the lines define the, the floor of a team. How much that's the case for the Jets? Let's say this is one of their their weaker position groups, right? And they could still be better. They could still be meaningfully better than they were last year. Um, I really like Joe Tipman. I think if he if his athletic potential is able to translate quickly um, and to take on the mental load at, at center, that would be a big deal for them. But let's say that it's it's not one of their better position groups. How much that matters is kind of an interesting thing to figure out because presumably the roots of this offense will still come, still have some origin in the, the San Francisco stuff and have a little bit of a relationship with what Rodgers was doing with Matt LaFleur and what the Jets were doing with Mike LaFleur, even though he's obviously gone, but um, had a relationship with Sala. And a lot of that is about timing and it takes some heat off the offensive line and should negate some of those potential issues. But also, in his heart of hearts, Aaron Rodgers would like to let plays develop. And Mm -hmm. if Nathaniel Hackett is the guy there with his unplugged headset, who is going to stop him? Nobody. And if that's the case, then then that's how, like, if we're... What's the opposite of troubleshooting? Like, concern trolling. If I'm here to concern troll the Jets, like, that is my concern. No, I, I think that's a fair concern. Because, like, one of the the tensions with between Rodgers and LaFleur, and I think they had a good relationship uh, based on everything that's been reported. But early on was, like, the audible thing. Right. Control over the offense. Like, LaFleur was like, this is how we run the offense. It's sequence. We have to run plays in order for them to work. We have to set them up. And then Aaron Rodgers was like, but I like to run audibles. I'm like, that's my thing. I'm a field general. And there was a middle ground that was found. And I think it, it helped Rodgers in some ways. And I don't know if he's going to get that help that he doesn't realize that he might need at this point in his career. Like, that's my concern with it. But like the offensive line thing, a lot of their performance is going to be dictated by the quarterback just because we know how much ownership a quarterback has over like pressure numbers, sack rates and stuff like that. And I think Aaron Rodgers is a chance that he makes this offense line look a lot better just because he's calling protections. He's calling out blitz before the snap in ways that Zach Wilson obviously was not capable yeah. of doing because yeah. he's a young player or anybody that played for them in the last couple of years. Like even Joe Flacco is a veteran. That's never been his like thing is pre-snap work. So I think I'm willing to overlook the offensive line just because Aaron Rodgers like will have so much control over how it performs. I do wonder what happens if guys start getting injured. And like I know like injury from year to year isn't always consistent, but like injured guys tend to get injured. I do think staying healthy is like a player skill. And this offensive line hasn't had the ability to do that yet. They haven't proven themselves. To, they haven't proven that they can stay on the field together. And I do think, like you said, offensive line sets the floor for a team. I think it sets the ceiling for this team. I think that the team, the offense is going to be fine, whether it's great or like sure. good enough to get them to a, 
a, a title game. I think it depends on this offensive line and how the running game kind of works. Because I, I do think, like, I, I have high hopes for the passing game. We've made a lot of jokes about yeah, Aaron Rodgers, no, but he's a good quarterback. Even last year, and he had a thumb injury, so I think that had a lot to do with some of his numbers going down, like especially his accuracy went down, and I think that was the big difference between last year and then the years when he won MVP. But, I mean, the the talent is here. Like, the wide receiver core is deep. Like, we're making jokes about that him bringing in, in his friends, but, like, Alan Lazard is a good player. He's a useful player, yeah, especially in this kind totally. of system. Uh, Randall Cobb, like, maybe that's a luxury, like, that... I don't know. I don't, I don't think they should have acquiesced Aaron Rodgers there, but uh, like Garrett Wilson is one of the best young receivers in the league. Cole Hardman is, a, I think, is an underrated player that kind of got overshadowed just by the nature of Kansas City's offense. So mm-hmm. this could be a top. I think like the floor is like top ten offense, and I can see this team being like a top five offense. I was kind of surprised at how good this division is. You kind of think of like the AFC East, like in the past, it's been kind of a laughing stock that New England just kind of walked to the title. But now, like, all four teams, I can talk myself into winning 10 games this year. On so, that yeah. note, maybe Even let's take a quick team. break and then come back and talk about the Patriots because that just raised my eyebrows. <laughs> New England. 10 wins. Make the case. This team won, what, seven games last year? Eight games yeah. last year? And they had the 10th best point differential in the entire NFL? Like, I, I don't think this team was as bad as we made them out to be. Like, they had the worst case scenario at offensive coordinator. Like, we all worried about the offensive coordinator situation. It was almost worse than we thought it would be. It, like, lived up to the hype in the same way Urban Myers, Jaguars... Uh, tenure lived up to it, the it was it was a beautiful disaster but they were still a competitive team that was capable of like giving cincinnati a good game they blew out the lions everyone's favorite team this is a decent team they have a good coaching staff and i i, I don't think we can overstate the importance of bill o'brien replacing matt patricia's offensive coordinator like Bill O'Brien, say what you want about how he ran the Texans at the end of his tenure, but he was a good offensive coordinator for that team. Like he got Brian Hoyer to the playoffs. That's an amazing feat. And <laughs> the pieces on offense aren't that bad. Like on paper, they could have a decent offensive line. The wide receiver core, like there's no explosive player and everyone laughed at the Devontae Parker uh, contract, but Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Juju, and Tyquan Thornton, who I really like, like the, the flashes we saw on tape last year as a rookie, I think he could be a, a useful piece. I mean, and there's a world in which if if Keyshawn Booty is suddenly yeah. exciting, you do add that, that element and that turns into a pretty good group. And then Ramondre Stevenson, I think, is a, a really good back, an underrated back. And then the defense, like, I think I think the defense has a chance to be even better than it was last year. Christian Gonzalez apparently is al- already the best corner in Patriots camp, which could be offseason hype, but I think he, like, profiles as the perfect cornerback for a Bill Belichick defense. And we're talking about, like, one of the greatest secondary coachers of all time. Like, I yeah, think he's going to have Yeah, and they've Gonzalez been missing a guy play. like that the last, um, since, I mean, I think they look very, very good in the decision. Um, 
to let J.C. Jackson go, but they've been working for the last couple of years without a shutdown man guy. And Bill Belichick is always best when when he has somebody like that to work with. My question is just is, about the defense is just this. I mean, they finished third in defensive DVOA last year. Uh, all of the adm- advanced metrics say that that was a really, really solid unit. Just going to give you the list of quarterbacks that they won games against. The Dolphins with Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson. The Colt McCoy Cardinals, Zach Wilson twice, Sam Ellinger, Jacoby Brissett, Jared Goff, who's part of a a very good offense last year, and then Mitchell Trubisky. That sounds like the bottom of my quarterback rankings. It's not inspiring stuff. Again, by all... that defense in some of the losses against better teams and, and better quarterbacks still looked like a good unit. All of the advanced numbers say that they were a very good unit. I I just want to throw out there that for the Patriots to win a game last year, it took um, not what they are going to to be faced with this year, which, you know, they come out of the gate They play the Eagles in week one. The Dolphins, who we just talked about being a potential Super Bowl team. The Aaron Rodgers Jets. Then the Cowboys. Then they've got the Saints and the Raiders. Then it's uh, Bills, Dolphins again. Just like you said, this division is, is pretty good. And they really lucked into some not terribly scary uh, opponents and opponents who are dealing with not advantageous situations to get to their win total last season. The offensive no, coordinator think, thing yeah. is 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 inevitably going to make a very significant difference. I just wonder if their record was kind of inflated last year. I, I think that's definitely fair. I just I think that not only will the offense take a big step, I'm expecting like a massive step for the offense. I think there's a chance this defense takes another step too. And if that happens and they're like a, a, a top two defense with a top 15 offense and they catch some breaks, I think they could definitely win 10 games and make a wild card. We've seen that like two years ago, they were able to do something similar with a similar setup. I think they're, I think Mac Jones is going to be a better player this year. Like a, a, you get a better coach, better play caller and a better quarterback that usually means a big jump. And if like if Josh Uche takes another leap and like is one of the better players and has like 12 sacks in this defensive line, and then they draft a Keon White, I don't know what he's going to be early on, but if he can be a useful player, I can see this defense being the best defense in the NFL, not one of the best. I can see it being the best defense in the NFL. If that's the case, I think they have a chance to win a lot of games. Because I think like a good, a great defense keeps you in games. And one thing we could say about Bill Belichick, even still, he tends to win close games. I wonder if they have the pass rush for best defense in the entire NFL, but I agree with you that that they could be they could be very scary to deal with. Um do you think they should have gone after Hopkins? Seems like they were the runner up of I got to imagine it was just a money thing. I don't know. Like I 
I think like name wise, there's a wide gap between what DeAndre Hopkins has been and what Monty Parker has been. But I think like on paper at this point in their careers, like there isn't a there isn't a lot separating them. And maybe I'm too low on DeAndre Hopkins just because we haven't really seen him play for two years. But like when guys miss significant time at this part of their career, it doesn't tend to get better when they come back. It tends to get worse. So I don't think they missed out on much, honestly. And I think like I think it's better you you I'm assuming if they signed Hopkins, they wouldn't have extended Devontae Parker. So in that way, maybe it was like a, a bad move, a bad trade-off. But they have a lot of good receivers, so I think it would have been hard to play the younger guys or the guys that they're already financially committed to. Like, it's hard to get Thornton on the field if Hopkins is here. Sure. Maybe Kendrick Bourne doesn't play as much because Hopkins is there. So I I think like this is going to allow some good players, some good young players to get on the field at least. Poor Kendrick Bourne. He's, at least Patricia's gone now. Yeah. Rooting for him. How do you avoid you avoid the Kyle Shanahan doghouse? Like the one of the most <laughs> infamous doghouses, especially for wide receivers. And then you fall into the Matt Patricia. Like, you have smack dab into Matt Patricia over something. It was something that happened like in the preseason. And if you're you Kendrick Bourne, aren't you like or something? Unbelievable. If you're Kendrick Bourne, you're like, okay, like being in Shanahan's doghouse, which he never was, like is one thing because he's like, one of the best offensive coaches ever. I'm not going to sit here and be in your doghouse. You can't even call an offense. <laughs> oh, what a funny time. What a funny, funny time. The Matt Patricia offensive coordinator days. <laughs> you, you remember when they were going to be like a Sean McVay team and they were like a week in the training camp? They're like, ah, uh, this isn't going to work. They're <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Wide zone. We don't know how to do it. That was a very, very, very funny time. Uh, excited to see what comes out of their training camp this year. Um, so from the sound of it, this is this this is a division that should stack up pretty well in the overall rankings. Should we try to put it all together? So I really struggled with where to put the bills in terms of um, in front or behind the 49ers. But I ended up putting them third just behind the Chiefs and Bengals on the strength of, of quarterback. That's exactly what I have. And I have like the same issue. I was like, like at first, Cincinnati and Buffalo was kind of a toss up. And then I was like, okay, they go third. And then I was like, oh, San Francisco's third already. And that was a tough one. But I think you're right. Like the the quarterback position is is solid and it's not with the 49ers. And that's uh, enough of a difference for me. I, Miami was really hard to rank for me. Just one more thing about, about Buffalo. If we did it purely on the on-paper rosters, I would be pretty tempted to put them second. I, I just think what we've seen in terms of Cincinnati's ability to play top quarterbacks, which when you're in the top five of the league, that's the ball game. That's going to define if you win a Super Bowl or if you don't or how far you make it in the playoffs or, or just the, the strength of a season. They are just so good at that that I think they deserve the not on that front. Um, if we were purely just sort of like ranking the rosters, I do think that there's a solid argument to say that the the Bills are 
deeper and, and more potent. But uh, Big Lou, man. Yeah, like we said, like like I said earlier, I like power rankings for me usually are like who would win in like a neutral playoff game. And I think like the point you make is a great one. Like Buffalo over the course of a regular season is probably better than Cincinnati, but like head to head in a one on one matchup, I'm taking Cincinnati just because the pieces they have, including Big Blue, is like a big factor. Okay, um, Miami. You said it was hard. I settled on right after Baltimore, right before Jacksonville. That's exactly what I did. I think that's right. Like, they're an unproven team, but I would would take the Ravens head-to-head against them right now, even though, I mean, look, we we saw it, right? But I do think that Baltimore is a better team than they were um, the last time they they played each other. And I also feel the same in the opposite direction with the Jaguars. Head to head, I would pick Miami over over Jacksonville. So yeah, same. So where'd you end up putting the Jets? So I put the Jets just behind the Seahawks and ahead of the Lions. I put them just ahead of the Seahawks, but I'm willing to put Seattle over them. I'm, I'm always willing to go to back for Gmail. But here's my my thinking is that. I think they have similar setups on the offense where it's like yep. a quarterback coming off a year that doesn't match his production from past years. And we don't know where, like how that's going to go. You have a very good receiving core on both sides. And then offensive line, there are question marks, especially on the interior. I'm more confident in the Jets defense though. Like we've seen the Jets defense. I think defense that's right. Good. Yeah. So, Here's how I thought about it. And I, th- I I would be, I'm I'm willing to put them in just behind Jacksonville and ahead of Seattle. I think the most likely outcome is that that is true, is that they're a slightly better, you know, we're talking about very small distinctions, but that they're a slightly better team. I don't think, if one of these teams has like a disaster season, I think it is more likely to be the Jets than the Seahawks. So there's a little bit of couching like this could go boom in a way that I don't think that like Gino and Pete Carroll right now are going to going to have that happen. I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think the Jets look like people have varying opinions on is a playoff berth and and a wild card win enough to justify the Aaron Rodgers trade. My personal opinion, and I know a lot of Jets fans, is that it is. Is that that's a compelling and exciting and and vibrant season of football, the likes of which they have not seen very much in recent decades. So I think that that would do it. Um, Some people don't. I know Ben Solak feels very strongly that like if they don't win a Super Bowl or something, then all of this was for naught. but that's sort of that's what I expect the playing field to be for the Jets. I I just I did I feel like I discounted them just a little bit because there is there's more volatility. But the most likely outcome to me, I think probably it makes sense to say that they would be just ahead of Seattle. So I'm I'm I feel like I'm yeah can put that in. 
I feel like all of our perceptions are so warped on the Jets. It's like you either think this could possibly be Brady's Bucks or it's going to be Russ's Broncos, and there's no in between. When really, like the most likely, it will outcome be. Is yeah, it's just it'll like be in between. They'll yeah, be a playoff team, like and then they'll games. lose. And cool. Yeah. I think I, I wonder I'm if there, zen with that. I wonder if there would be as much pessimism if Russ Denver doesn't happen last year. I don't think any of us are even like talking about this. Like, there's disaster potential if that's the case, and maybe I'm wrong about that because Aaron Rodgers is a very uh, polarizing person. Finish that I sentence. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to finish that sentence without getting fired. He's an odd duck. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think the like they're going to be a good team and not a great team, and that's good fine. team. Good team, and that's fine. Good team, the New York Jets. I'm just that's saying something. Okay, then the Patriots. See, this is where I think we're going to disagree. <laughs> I put the Patriots right behind the Chargers and right ahead of Atlanta. And maybe, so maybe I, you're higher. On I didn't put. Um, no, I'm. I'm. So I'm only one spot lower on them. I put them behind Atlanta. I. It's so just, wait, 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 wait. You, you were shocked by 10 wins and you, you put them right behind the Chargers? I was shocked by 10 wins from you. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, 10 wins is a lot of... Like, part of this, though, is the, is the division conversation. And yeah. I think a, a very good AFC East team might be floating around 500. Just because they're all... Like, all of these teams are in... in to some degree going to cannibalize each other. Um, and I I do think the Patriots are squarely the fourth place team. And I see the paths for the defense to be even better this year. And I think they were good last year. I just wonder, like, I wonder if they're a touch overrated as having been one of the absolute best defensive units last year. But so, so I see it. Yeah. I, I do agree that like statistically, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were because they're not going to face this rogues gallery of terrible quarterbacks. But I think like mm-hmm. when we watch, we're going to be like, this is a better defense. This is a better defense. The results yeah. aren't as good, but like in a game, in a one-off game, in the playoffs maybe, I think they have a better chance of hanging with uh, Josh Allen, which they haven't been able to do at all over the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. But I put them over Atlanta just because uh, those quarterbacks that you listed off earlier, Desmond Ritter fits in with that group. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> Our 12th place team for now, the Patriots, just behind the Chargers. That feels fair. I just... I, yeah. 10 wins in the AFC East to me this year means you're a very good team. You're right about that, for sure. I did, I said that without looking at their schedule, and like the beginning of their schedule is rough, and they Oof. don't get a lot of breaks from that. There are a couple of like stretches where they play the Raiders and another bad team in a row, but like you get like Mahomes on Washington at some point. <sighs> yeah, that's it's a, it's a tough schedule to navigate. It's a toughie. All right. Where it stands now, we just have the NFC East left. And we will add them to 
Chiefs, Bengals, Bills, 49ers, Ravens, Dolphins, Jaguars, Jets, Seahawks. Wow. Top nine, only two teams from the NFC. That makes sense. Lions, Chargers, Patriots, Falcons, Broncos, Browns, Vikings, Colts, Packers, Steelers, Saints, Titans, Raiders, Panthers, Bears, Rams, Bucks, Texans, Cardinals. Good stuff. This has been the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Nora Princiati. He's Stephen Ruiz. Stephen and Ben Solak will be back on this feed on Friday, answering the big questions that will define the NFL next season and going forward. Thank you, as always, to Stefan Anderson for production on this episode and to Arjuna Ramkapal and Connor Nevins for additional production supervision and to you for listening. 